You're listening to the sermons of First Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor James Hunick, and I'd like to welcome you. I pray that this sermon will help you in your Christian faith. If you'd like to join us, you can come to First Lutheran Church at worship at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. with a Bible study in between. For more information about our congregation or the Lutheran tradition, please go to www.youhaveaplace.com. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been talking over the last several weeks about moralistic therapeutic deism. You've heard that definition so many times, you could probably repeat it back to me. It's moralistic, is that it's uh, mostly concerned about following the rules of leading a kind of good life. Therapeutic, that it is about God's gift to you, is about making you feel better about yourself. And deism is that God is far away unless you need him to solve a problem. We said that there were five different teachings or tenets of this. We've covered them over the five weeks of this series. First, it was a God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. And we looked at the Old Testament and the New and learned that God is not a distant God, but one who is intimately involved in everything. And that he leads all of creation towards the redemption when Jesus returns. Second, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. And we realize that this is not what the Bible teaches. Instead, Christianity is all about not making bad people into good people, but making dead people alive. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. We looked at that and said that feeling happy and feeling good about yourself as a main goal basically leaves you in a moral wasteland, unable to handle any kind of suffering or deal with reality in any kind of way. Our mission is not to be happy, but to partner with God in creation and to hold fast to our faith until the day of Christ's return. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. This kind of God is your, uh, your favorite uncle combined with a divine Santa Claus. He is far away, but he's always willing to give you a little something if you need it. This, of course, is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not one to be far off, but nearby. He's not there to resolve our problems, but to give us eternal life. Finally, we're looking at this last one. Good people go to heaven when they die. Now, if you've been coming to church here, like most of you do, you would know that I did a sermon called Good People Go to Hell, Bad People Go to Heaven, right? So I'm not going to do that sermon again for you tonight. But I thought, you know what, let's try an experiment. So I went to ChatGPT, the newest AI tool, and I said, write a Christian message that refutes the idea that good people go to heaven when they die. This is what it says. I would like to address the common misconception that many people hold today 
namely, that good people go to heaven when they die. This idea is often called moralistic therapeutic deism. <laughs> I didn't tell it to say that. <laughs> and it's belief that is not supported by the teachings of the Bible. Firstly, the Bible teaches that no one is truly good. In Romans 3.23 it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, being a good person is not enough to earn us a place in heaven. Secondly, the Bible teaches that salvation is not based on our good works or moral character. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Thirdly, Jesus himself says that no one comes to the Father except through him. This means that salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ. Being a good person is not enough to gain eternal life. Thank you, ChatGPT. You're a good theologian. Well, I, you know what? It did a, did a pretty good job, didn't it? I mean, so I did skip the chapter where it has a mini altar call for everyone, but uh, it, it does a pretty good job. So instead of doing that sermon for the next 10 minutes or so, I thought we would take a look at the way we talk about death in America and the way we practice our funerals so that we can examine what does our culture teach us about how we do this to say good people go to heaven when they die. The first thing I'd like you to do is pull out that hymn uh, thingy that I, I printed out for you. It's a couple of pieces of paper. We're going to go to the second page and look at, third page, and look at Amazing Grace, the hymn. And now that you know that it's, I've mentioned funerals, you know why it's in there, right? If you have watched a funeral on TV, on any TV, in any show, do you know what hymn they play in the background music? It's Amazing Grace. This is America's national anthem of funerals. Every funeral, on TV, movies, and if it's especially interesting, it's got bagpipes playing it, has Amazing Grace. Have you ever wondered why? Why Amazing Grace? The music is nice, right? I mean, it's, it's emotional and generates the right kind of emotion. But I'd like you to take a look at the words and ask yourself, can a moralistic, therapeutic deist sing Amazing Grace? Absolutely, 100%. Who is doing the work in Amazing Grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Grace. Is there, a, is there a God who dies on a cross? Does he call you to repentance? Let's try another one. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Can a moralistic, therapeutic deist sing that? Yep. Let's do this one. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far. 
His grace will lead me home. Where? What home? What grace? God's kind of got your back on this one. That's about it, right? Let's try number four. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, amazing grace shall then prevail in heaven's joy and peace. What prevails? Grace. Grace. What is grace? I don't know. If you're reading the Bible, it is undeserved love of God. But if you're a moralistic, therapeutic deist, you don't know what it is. I mean, it's just the kind of grace that you like to sing when you're at a funeral. Number five, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Sounds like a moralistic, therapeutic deist could sing that one too, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Amazing Grace is not a bad hymn when it's sung in a Lutheran funeral service. (laughs) But when it's by itself, it is the perfect semi-Christian song. Because you have to insert your knowledge of who God is and what he does into this song. So if, if we're reading Bible readings and you've got a sermon and there's liturgy and prayers and you sing Amazing Grace, everybody knows what that means. But when you, when you sing it without those things, you get everybody goes to heaven. Good people go to heaven when they die. I would like to compare this to a couple of other hymns. Let's go to number 708 on the first page. Lord, thee I love with all my heart. You know, I have to tell you, this hymn, I was introduced to this hymn at an English district convention, and the first time I sang it, I hated it. Hated it. It was the theme of our convention, and then I sang it the next time, and I sang it, the, we sang it like six times over the course of three days. And by the end, I loved it because of this verse. Let's, uh, I'm, can we do Lord Thee I Love with All My Heart? The last verse, number three. Yep. Do you want to sing it together or just me? Everybody. Let's do it all together. Thank you. Christ. 
Can't miss that one, can you? I had trouble with that last verse. Did you hear my voice? I was tearing up a little bit. Whew. Now, if you want something maybe a little more emotional, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, like an old Lutheran hymn melody, right? Let's go to abide with me. I know, I know. We're, we're, we're doing our best to make the pastor cry while we sing. <laughs> this one gets me too. Verse 6. before my closing eyes? Whew. Right? Last one. We're going to turn to the final song. Jesus lives, the victory's won. Now we could sing all of these, and it would work out pretty well. But final verse again, <laughs> verse 5. <clears throat> shall cry as fails each sense. This shall be my confidence. You know what that's saying? As, as your eyes shut down, as your ears are the last thing to work, and your relatives are squeezing your hand, your faith will cry, Jesus is my confidence. Let's compare <laughs> the theology of those hymns to Amazing Grace. These are specific. These are the kinds of things that tell you what you can hold on to, how you are saved, and what you can do as you, as you think about your death. Where is your confidence? Where is your hope? It's Jesus. The next step is to take a look at our funeral service. That's the packet right here. Now that we have 
looked at the national anthem of funerals. Let's think about what the, the funeral service looks like in American culture and in churches. Few of us actually realize, I think, how much of our church life is shaped by television. How many people, when you think about a wedding, think, ba dum da da or da 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 right? You think those songs, don't you? Pachabell is in there too, right? That's because they're on TV. We saw them on TV. They're from, they're, they're actually from uh, an opera about a guy who leaves his wife after they get married. And then the other one is from A Midsummer's Night's Dream, which is about everybody getting high and fooling around in the forest. It's not what Shakespeare says, but that's really what it's about. <laughs> and you go, wait a second, is that what you really want at your wedding? Same thing is true for funerals. Not the music, but how we do funerals. Think of the last funeral you saw on TV. What is in common in all of them? Giant photo of the dead person on an easel next to the pulpit. Right? There's a pastor sitting in the background, usually not saying anything, and one or many, many people saying how great a person the deceased was. And it's just, that is the thing. There might be a reading or a poem. The one that comes to mind is that one that's, I did not die, I'm not really here. You've heard that one right before, I'm sure. What these are is these are moralistic, therapeutic, deist funerals. There's no Jesus, and if Jesus is there, it's only in the background. It's mostly about remembering the person and talking about how good they were. And if the pastor gets a turn, he might give a sermon. Let's take a look at this. We're not going to read it all. We're going to take a look at what a Lutheran funeral service looks like. It begins with the remembrance of baptism, where it quotes Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Right? And this is applied to the deceased. Next, we do an intro, which is a reading. We pray and a prayer about the, the deceased and the gift of grace given to them. You move on, like, a, like any worship service, three readings with a psalm, the verse for Lent, if we have died with Christ, we shall also live with him. If we are faithful to the end, we shall reign with him. There's the Apostles' Creed, summarizes the faith. Of course, you choose hymns like the ones we just sang. And then a lengthy set of prayers that describe and give thanks for the salvation God gives us through Jesus Christ, that talks about the being nourished by the holy body and blood of the Son so we can be raised to immortality on the last day, 
that gives courage and faith to the bereaved in the certain knowledge of the resurrection of the dead and the expectation of eternal life. And then finally gives thanks for the faith bestowed on the deceased. We pray the Lord's Prayer. And then we do the Nunc Dimittis, which is uh, on either side with Christ's words, I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. We continue. I also included one of, one of the prayers at the committal service, which is a separate service. I'll read it because it's awesome. Almighty God, by the death of your son, Jesus Christ, you destroyed death. By his rest in the tomb, you sanctified the graves of your saints. And by his bodily resurrection, you brought life and immortality to light, so that all who die in him abide in peace and hope. Receive our thanks for the victory over death and the grave that he won for us. Keep us in everlasting communion with all who wait for him on earth and with all in heaven who are with him. For he is the resurrection and the life, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And it ends with a blessing. Notice what's missing. There's no eulogy. There's no people coming forward. It's just all about Jesus. Every step of the way, every single thing that happens in our, in our Lutheran funeral service points to Jesus and says, this is your salvation. And that's the point. We live in a world that wants to tell everyone that they're saved. Our job is to actually point them to salvation, to Jesus Christ. And part of that means we have to say there are sinners who need eternal life, and the only way to get it is through him. And so we give, we give this message, this peace, this hope, through the joy that we can share as we share this message, not that good people go to heaven when they die, but Jesus saves sinners. In his name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to our sermons. If you have any questions about anything that you've heard or anything about the Lutheran tradition, I would love to answer them. Please contact me at pastorhuenink at youhaveaplace.com.